What's going on, East Lansing? You're listening to the Spartan Red Zone, where we cover everything Michigan State football. I am Dan Tyler, your new host, and let's get straight into things. First off, I'm going to hit you with an agenda of the show. We're going to start things off with a quick breakdown of last week's victory over Iowa. I'll give you three key stats from that game and what they mean. Grade reports for each unit, meaning the grades of the offense, defense, and special teams. Any questions and concerns myself or other people may have. Five helmet stickers going to the top players from the game, and then a preview of next week's game against Indiana. So let's start it off with a breakdown, shall we? The 3-1 and Spartans traveled to Iowa City for their first Big Ten game, coming away with a convincing 26-14 victory, improving to 4-1 and on the season and 1-0 and in Big Ten play. This was a great overall effort for the team as the defense was stifling as usual and the offense finally caught some rhythm, putting some stressed minds to rest. I know it put mine to rest a little bit. However, the game started off slowly. As the Spartans turned the ball over on a fourth down conversion on their second drive, they tried to stuff Jeremy Langford up the middle on a fourth and one, and were shut down immediately. The next drive was set up by Darquez Denard intercepting quarterback Jake Rudock. However, Michael Geiger, the freshman field goal kicker, missed one from 36 yards out. Thankfully for the offense, the defense held the Hawkeyes to only 20 yards and no first downs the whole, fir- the whole first quarter. Excuse me. So this was beginning to look like a typical Michigan State game on the season. The defense is doing everything they can to shut, off, shut down the opposing offense, and our offense was just not cutting it. However, they turned it up on their next two drives, starting with a Michael Geiger field goal and then Connor Cook striking to McGarrett Kings for a 46-yard touchdown the drive after that. And a quick little interesting stat on that, that was their first play of over 40 yards on the whole season, and they were the last team in the FBS to do so. So thankfully we got over that hump. Now Michigan State appeared to be taking control of the game until sophomore Iowa quarterback Jake Rudock caught fire. With about seven and a half minutes left in the second half, he completed all 11 of his passes for 138 yards and two scores, allowing the Hawkeyes to enter the half, leading 14-10. to 10. But from then on, it was all Michigan State. Cook threw for another long touchdown on the opening drive of the second half, this time to Benny Fowler for 37 yards. Michael Geiger then added another field goal to increase the lead to six. Now, possibly the most important play of the game came on the first play of the fourth quarter, where D'Antonio called for the fake punt and Mike Sadler ran the ball for 25 yards on a fourth and seven. This led to yet another Geiger field goal, this one for 49 yards, which was a career high for the young freshman. Now, on, on Iowa's next drive, Dennard intercepted Rudock for the second time again, which set up Geiger for the finishing blow and his fourth field goal on the day, making the score 26-14. to 14. Mark D'Antonio called this a, quote, program victory, and he could not be more correct. It was the most complete game that I have seen as a Michigan State fan from the Spartan football team since Kirk Cousins was under center for us. The offense looked good against a stingy Iowa defense, who are no flop. The defense was spectacular as usual, holding one of the best rushing offenses in the nation to a meager 23 yards. And the special teams shined with not only that fake punt in the fourth quarter by Mike Sadler, but with the walk-on freshman Geiger going 4-for-5 from field goals on the day, which is very impressive. 
Now, this, this victory was certainly a few steps forward for the program. should ease the minds of Spartan Nation going into homecoming week. Going in with a couple straight home games after a big road win like that, they should gain some momentum and really help them look forward to trying to keep the momentum rolling and strive for that Legends Division title because that's the goal year in and year out. So let's get into the key stats on the day. The first one I had is the number two. Now, two, as in the first time Michigan State has won two straight games in Iowa City since the 1987-1988 season, so quite a bit ago. Now, Kinnick Stadium is one of the toughest Big Ten venues. It's always loud, always tough to go in there and get a win against a stingy Iowa team. They're always really tough battles, physical battles, and you need to be tough and physical to win in a league like the Big Ten. Physicality is everything in the Big Ten, and for them to go in into Iowa City to step up, out-physical Iowa, just outplay them in, in every facet is definitely a big win for Michigan State. This was a big win on the road to trying to get that Legends title and is about as perfect of a start to the Big Ten season as a Michigan State fan could hope for. Now, my next stat, I used three numbers. The numbers 25, 44, and 277. Now, what do those numbers mean? Those were the passing numbers of quarterback Connor Cook, meaning he completed 25 of his 44 passes for 277 yards. Those were all, incidentally, career highs for Cook. Now, obviously, those are good numbers, and you add the two touchdowns. You know, they're good on paper to look at them, but something that you have to really delve deep into is the confidence that Brad Salem, the quarterback's coach, and Mark D'Antonio must have in Cook. Because if you remember... Two weeks ago, the last game they played against Notre Dame, Connor Cook was benched for Andrew Maxwell uh, with two minutes left in the fourth quarter for the last drive, uh, a call that left many people, including myself, scratching their heads and wondering, what are they doing? Did they lose confidence in Cook? And they showed, letting him air the ball out against a tough Iowa defense, they showed that they do have confidence in Cook still. They said that they had confidence, although they benched him. I was wondering if they really did, but... It's evident now that they have confidence in Cook. He is the number one guy moving forward. They're going to put this team on his shoulders and hope that he can continue to carry the team to more victories. And this was a great start for him. He proved that they should have confidence in him. Um, he, he appeared to find his groove this game. He, he looked pretty comfortable. And this is against a defense that previously was only allowing 183 yards passing per game. Um, he also found a couple... Of his favorite targets, it looks like guys that he's going to be looking for more in the offense, going to Kings Jr. and Benny Fowler, hitting them for a touchdown apiece. So definitely good news moving forward for Michigan State. The quarterback battle appears to be at rest now. It does not look like D'Antonio will be making any rash decisions benching Cook. He proved that he should be the starter and he should retain that role. And now for my last number... Chose the number 23. As mentioned before, this was the number of rushing yards Iowa had on the whole day. Now, going into this game, they were the 19th ranked team in the nation in rushing yards per game. So holding them to 23 is a pretty amazing feat for this defense that has now jumped up as the number one overall defense in the nation. And they also, which was big, held their workhorse Mark Wiseman to an anemic seven rushes and only nine yards. And Weissman previously led the NCAA in carries through the first five weeks with 119. 
he was carrying the bar, ball more than Le'Veon Bell did last year. And if you remember from last season, speaking of last season, he ran all over us for 116 yards and a touchdown in what was a disappointing double overtime loss at home to those Hawkeyes. Another one of those just heartbreaking late game losses that Michigan State suffered last year, and he was a big part of it. So it's good to see that they learned from some mistakes they had last year and really focused on shutting him down. That was very impressive. So let's move on to the grade reports, starting with the offense. As I talked about before, the offense looked very smooth, appeared to find their rhythm finally in this game. So I'm giving them a B plus. So this was easily the best the offense has looked all season, if you don't count the Youngstown State game. Since they're an FCS opponent, there's a big difference between playing FCS opponent Youngstown State and a tough Big Ten defense on the road like Iowa's. So obviously the big story was Connor Cook connecting with his receivers well, mainly Kings Jr. and Fowler. Um, career highs, as I mentioned before, in completions, attempts, and passing yards. Uh, speaking of career highs, Benny Fowler also set one in with his receptions, having nine receptions on the game. But, However, a less told story, but what I think is very important, is the emergence of the freshman running back Delton Williams. Now, if you know anything about Delton Williams, he was a teammate of Damian Terry, the quarterback from Erie, Pennsylvania, and he was also redshirted like Terry, but the coaches were just feeling like they needed something new with the running back game. You know, Riley Bullo wasn't wasn't working out like they hoped. Nick Hill has been inconsistent, so they wanted to give this guy a try. That he, he had been impressive in practice, and they gave him a shot, and he he appeared to live up to the expectations. He had nine rushes for 32 yards. Now, I know these aren't eye-popping stats, but... The big thing is that they have found another power back to complement Jeremy Langford. Langford, I think, has been good, not great all season. He's been good, but he, he needs a little bit of help in that backfield, and hopefully Delton Williams can help him shoulder that load a little bit. And now I think something that's very important is one of the toughest things for a freshman running back in transitioning from high school to college is the physicality of the game, especially in a conference like the Big Ten, where, as I mentioned before, physicality is everything. It's a tough-nosed conference, and also a team like Iowa. You know, real old-school football, tough nose are going to make you really grind for those yards. And he showed the ability to lower his shoulder and get some of those tough yards, and I just I think that's very important. Now, the running backs overall didn't have a that great of a game. You know, he only had 32 yards. He was the second-leading rusher. The third leading rusher was our punter, Mike Sadler. Um, that is what is barring them from having an A from this game, in my mind, was the running game was not that great, but the passing game was phenomenal. The offensive line did well, gave Connor Cook some time. Uh, Cook showed the ability to run a little bit of a read option, which was nice. So overall, a B-plus for them. I think it was a good effort. Definitely steps forward for the offense, which has been having a tough time. Now moving on to the defense. How could you not give them an A on this game? They continue to show why they should be considered one of the top defenses in the country and are now ranked the top defense in the country. Um, they held Iowa to only 264 yards of total offense, and 241 of the, those yards were through the air. Uh, they came into the matchup one of the strongest rushing offenses in the country, as mentioned before, but were shut down by the front seven all game long. They could find no holes, no space to run, nothing. And if it wasn't for that seven-minute stretch at the end of the first half where D'Antonio said, quote, the sky was falling, end quote, for what they were doing on defense, they would have similarly shut down the Iowa passing game. 
So 138 of those 241 passing yards came in a seven-minute stretch where everything just seemed to be going wrong. They also picked off Iowa's Rudock two times, two Dennard interceptions. He was giving them a nightmare all day long. They easily could have shut shut out this team if it wasn't for that seven-minute stretch. Unfortunately, that did happen, but they still played phenomenally, creating turnovers, not letting this team that is all about their running game establish the run, and even still making it tough for their passing offense. So A, definitely for that defense. They're continuing to carry this team and continue to be one of the best defensive units in the country, and it's just it's just fun to watch. And the special teams, I'm also giving an A. You usually just hope for the special teams to be consistent, for your punter to get good net, net, net yardage on the punts, for your, your field goal kicker to make it when you throw them out there, and to not let up any kind of big plays on returns. They did all that and more. So that other than a first quarter uh, missed field goal by Geiger, he turned around and made his next four. I think he's a walk-on freshman playing his first road game. Or excuse me, actually his second road game, but his first road game in the Big Ten and a, a tough place to play like Iowa City. He may have had some some pretty bad nerves going into that, but he calmed down after that first kick and went on to go four for five on the day, which is all you can ask for and more from a walk-on freshman kicker who now looks to be the starter. And then also that fourth down conversion by Mike Sadler for 25 yards, which huge, helped us improve the lead from six to nine. And helped uh they just helped win the game pretty much you know we had geiger putting away the field goals that helped ice the game sadler helping set up the big kicks for geiger you know that's all you can ask for and more from the special team so great performance by them overall i have to give it a a minus for the whole team um the the offense was starting to take some steps forward. The defense was spectacular. Special teams was spectacular. So just a great overall overall game for the Spartans. So moving on to questions and concerns, obviously, as you can tell, I don't have many concerns. And it's hard to find things to complain about after a game that strong. The offense was smooth, defense stifling, blah, blah, blah. It's all been said. If I'm being nitpicky, I'm still a little concerned with the running game. Delton Williams coming into the mix is a nice nice addition since uh you know Nick Hill and Riley Bullo won't really cutting it. But you know, they'll need more of a they'll need more of a running presence against some of the tougher Big Ten games. I don't mean to look forward too much, but when Michigan coming into town, they have a tough defense. We'll have to establish a run a little bit if we want Connor Cook to pass the ball. Um but you know, Cook and the receivers continue to grow. It will help their growth if the rushing game gets a little better, so we'll see against an Indiana team coming up next week if they can kind of set up that run game a little more to help set up Connor Cook in the passing game for future success and to continue the success that he started to find in this game against Iowa. So let's move on to the helmet stickers, to the five top players, I believe, from last week's game. So first, how could you not start with Connor Cook? <coughs> Excuse me. So he bounced back from being benched late in the fourth quarter game, as I mentioned before, leading us to a big road win in a tough environment. Obviously, he looked good through the air, 277 yards, two touchdowns, but something that was overlooked, I think, was his rushing ability. He had six rushes for 21 yards, 
Again, not spectacular stats, but it just adds another dimension to this offense that we did not have before. We didn't have this last season with Maxwell. When we weren't sure who our quarterback was, we did not have it in in the beginning of the season either. But it's good to see the ability for him to tuck that ball down and get some much-needed yardage. Uh, They ran a little bit of a zone read option. It just makes the defense be on their toes a little bit more. It adds just a whole new dimension, as I mentioned before, to this offense, and it'll help make them more dangerous, a little less predictable, a little less boring, which are all good things moving forward for Michigan State. Um, Next guy, I have to give it to Darquez Dennard. He had two interceptions on the day, made some big tackles in open field to help barring them from getting first downs. I mean, they were shut down to 27 yards in the second half, thanks to Dennard a lot. Um, He had interceptions helping us set up two field goals, or, well, what should have been two field goals. One was missed. Just a great game by him. He continues to grow as a corner to be one of the best corners in the Big Ten. He's proving why he should day in, day out. Just a great game by Dennard overall. The third I will give one to is Michael Geiger. He appeared to have a rough start of the game, missing from 36 yards out, but as I've mentioned multiple times before, makes his next four, striking from 27, 35, 40, and 49 yards. Uh, With that kind of strong performance, it looks like he's sealed the starting position for himself. Uh, It's good to have a nice young field goal kicker in there. Michigan State tends to always have good kickers, and a big reason for that is they get young guys playing early and playing well early. So look for this guy to be kicking field goals for the green and white for a long time to come, I think. The fourth one I'm giving out is to Benny Fowler. So he and fellow receiver McGarrett Kings Jr. had very similar days. Kings Jr. catching... 94 yards and a touchdown, while Fowler had 92 yards and a touchdown. (coughs) Uh, The main difference between them is that Fowler caught a career-high nine passes. Now, that's obviously a good stat, just looking at it on paper. But remembering some of the games earlier in the season, Benny Fowler was one of those guys that was struggling a lot with dropping passes, you know. And and our offense was looking like the kind of thing where Either the quarterback is missing receivers or he is completely on target and our receivers are dropping them. And he was one of the main culprits of that. But for him to haul in nine passes showed a little bit of consistency. Hopefully he can keep that moving rolling forward because he's a big, strong, fast, physical receiver. There's no reason why he can't be a great receiver in the Big Ten. He just has to be more consistent with catching the ball and avoiding some of those bad drops, and that is precisely what he did last Saturday against Iowa. So that is definitely pleasing to see moving forward. Hopefully he can keep that up tomorrow, or on Saturday, excuse me, against Indiana. And then the last helmet sticker I'm giving out to is to the freshman Delton Williams. Now 32 yards and 9 carries isn't a popping out stat, but you look deeper into the game, a lot of big, like he got a lot of third down uh, conversions, just you know, third and two, third and three, the short kind of yardage that we need to get where the defense is stacking up, and he showed the physicality to be able to lower his shoulder, get those yards, get the first downs when needed. Also showed a little bit of breakout ability, had an 11-yard rush. Against this stingy defense, you know, against defenses like Iowa, an 11-yard rush is big. 
all you can really expect for your running backs is to be able to go in there on the third and shorts, like I mentioned, and to get the yardage to to create the first downs. But, you know, if if he can break some of those out, too, for 11 yards, get through the front seven and get out into the secondary and to open space a little bit, who knows what this guy can do. So I'm I'm excited to see him moving forward. That should be a big confidence builder from him. You know, that was his first game. They just pulled the red shirt off of him for that game. So obviously the coaches have quite a bit of confidence into him. So hopefully he just keeps that confidence rolling forward. Playing against a suspect defense on Saturday, I mean, let's see what he can do. If he can keep that up, that will be big for our offense. You know, another another solid running back along with Jeremy Langford can really do wonders for this Michigan State offense. So now let's move into a preview of Indiana a little bit. So Michigan State will be heading back home this Saturday for their homecoming game against Indiana. So hopefully the momentum from the Iowa win will carry over. Everybody's pretty excited after last week on campus. So people are going to be jacked coming to the game. Alumni should be excited seeing them kind of get the ball rolling a little bit. Um, And they have two consecutive home games and then a game at Illinois before going up against Michigan. But it is important not to look ahead too much and not to look past this Hoosier squad. Uh, It appeared last season when Michigan State went into Bloomington that they overlooked them. They had the big college game day game against Ohio State at home the game before they played Indiana last year. And as everybody remembers, it was a tough loss. Some questionable officiating calling back a touchdown. We lost to a team that went 12-0, is now 18-0 under Urban Meyer. In my mind, I believe they should be 17-1. and That game against Michigan State should have been a loss. So it was a heartbreaking loss there. So they went into they went into Bloomington. It looked like they were overlooking Indiana. And they let Indiana jump off to a 17-0 lead on them before eventually figuring things out, coming back, and getting the victory. So hopefully this team learned from their lesson last year to not take this team lightly, especially this year, as I believe this Indiana team is much improved from getting out of the cellar of the Big Ten from last season. They've begun the season 3-2, and two, which is a modest record, but they won their first Big Ten matchup over Penn State, who was a tough Big Ten team, you know, a tough, solid team that went 8-4 and four last year after being completely depleted by sanctions after the whole Sandusky case. And, the, and Indiana topped them 44-24 to 24, very convincingly. They were led through their two-quarterback system with Nate Sudfeld and Trey Roberson. You know, they finally... It looked like they finally figured out a good way to use them. They've been struggling with it a little bit on the season. And uh, incidentally, they aren't the only Big Ten team to find some success using two quarterbacks. Fellow Legends Division team Northwestern has had quite a bit of success this season using both Trevor Simeon and Kane Coulter. So, you know, maybe that'll become a little bit of a trend in the Big Ten. Michigan State had a two-quarterback system with a lot less success than these two teams. So they kind of found it rolling. They have a high-powered offense. Those are both two athletic guys, Sudfeld and Roberson. Roberson can really run the ball, and Sudfeld likes to air it out quite a bit. Um, on last week's game against Penn State, Sudfeld completed 23 of his 38 passes for 321 yards and two touchdowns. And then Roberson added two rushing touchdowns, along with emerging sophomore running back Tevin Coleman, adding 92 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground. Coleman... Also, just a quick little side note: his uh, he was being he was a speedster being recruited out of high school. You know, was a, a big track guy, 
And his last two teams were Indiana and Michigan State, so he ended up choosing Indiana. And he recently in an interview was saying how comfortable he was with being at Indiana and is looking forward to coming to Michigan State to play them as an opponent. Uh, He really liked it here, but he is just looking to uh, play against the team that he kind of spurned a little bit and uh, wants to have a big week against them. So this... uh, this high-powered offense of Indiana improved to tenth, the 10th tenth best passing offense in the FBS, averaging exactly 346 yards per game, which is a very impressive stat. And they're also the 12th best scoring offense, averaging 44.4 points per game. Excuse me. So this is not the Indiana team that we remember from last season, the team that was kind of thought of as an automatic win and team that was in the cellar of the Big Ten. They appear to be making some moves. Their offense is definitely going to be the, the toughest offense that Michigan State has faced all season, not a doubt. But at the same time, this will easily be the toughest defense that Indiana has played all season. This is the number one defense they're going up against in the country. Most likely will be the toughest defense they face all season. So I expect them to have a tough time against this Michigan State defense. Uh, although, you know, they averaged, as I said, 346 yards per game, you'd expect them to be a big deep ball kind of team, but don't expect them to atta- attack this strong Michigan State secondary deep. They're more of a quick slants, getting their receivers out in the open field, uh, trying to make them get some plays down the middle and stuff like that. That That is their kind of offense as opposed to deep balls. So... You know, they're not going to be testing cornerbacks, Trey Wayans, Darquez Denard. Uh, the safeties, Isaiah Lewis, might not get as much play. I think it comes down more for this game to the linebackers, our Max Bolo, Taiwan Jones, for them to read Nate, Sudfeld, uh, Nate Sudfeld's eyes, try to uh, not bite on play actions or zone read plays, and be able to drop back in coverage a little bit down the middle and make sure that their streaking receivers cannot get some slant plays and get out into the open field because that is where they really strive. That's where they hurt teams the most is all kinds of crossing patterns, slant patterns, getting their receivers open through the middle and letting them make plays and let them use their speed. Guys like Tevin Coleman, too, out of the backfield, they like to run him out, wheel him out, just drop the ball off to him and let him make plays with blockers and green space ahead of him. That is dangerous. So I think the biggest thing for this defense is more containment with the front seven as much as the secondary really shutting people down. Um, you know, look for the secondary to also be really physical on contact, trying to not let those guys get off of the line so easily, you know, kind of jam them right in the beginning, right right off the snap so they can't get into their slant routes quite so quick because they're all about just quickness, trying to hit the defense as fast as possible. Um, but on the other side of things, Indiana has had a suspect defense at best thus far this season. Uh, Through their first five games, they've given up 452 yards per game, including an embarrassing 623 yards given up to Missouri. Um, I think if if Cook and the receivers can continue what kind of uh, chemistry they got going last week against Iowa, if Delton Williams, the freshman, can keep his confidence rolling from the good game he had. Jeremy Langford can get things going like he's been doing this season. I think they should continue to improve. I think they can even have better stats, better numbers than they did last week against Iowa. You know, they're playing at home. 
it's always nicer playing on home field. Your home crowd fans are pretty rowdy after last week's win, and you know this team has to have quite a bit of confidence after last week. So look for them, I think, to improve on on what they started last week against a softer defense, one of the softer defenses, I believe, in the Big Ten. And you know, I think there's no reason why Michigan State can't come out with a, another convincing win. This is this is a sort of trap game for Michigan State, I believe, coming after coming after a big road win and, you know, just talking to people around campus. I know these are just fans and stuff, but people are looking forward, I think, a little too early to the Michigan game because you look at the next three games on Michigan State's schedule. It is Indiana, obviously, then Purdue at home, and then traveling to Champaign-Urbana to face Illinois. And you look at the standings in the Big Ten, those three teams were in the bottom of the Big Ten last season. So it's easy to overlook them. But as I've said before, this is a completely new Indiana team. They are much tougher than last year. Their offense is not something to take lightly. Um, you know, we just we have to just take it one game at a time, and that's important. So this could be definitely a trap game for Michigan State. Games like this need to be won if you want to win the Legends division. You cannot squander home games with momentum against not the toughest opponent in the league, but they're not going to just fall down lightly. They're not They're not going to be a team that we're going to come in, blow out early in the first half, and then put our second, third string guys in in the second half. They're going to make it tough because this offense could strike you whenever, so you cannot, you can't just sleep on them. But still, I think that they learned their lesson from last year about looking forward too much or taking a team lightly. I think this team has a new kind of focus. They know that they can't be looking ahead. They're going to just try to take it one game at a time. I think Michigan State is going to win this. My prediction is by a score of 30-17. to 17. I think that Cook will have another 250-plus yard performance and two touchdowns. I expect Langford and Williams, as I've said before, to keep it up. I think the defense will create, I say, two turnovers this game and kind of keep things contained for Iowa or Indiana. Excuse me. Uh, they still, I, I'm predicting that 17 points just because they have so many big play threats. I think they'll keep them quiet for most of the game, but there's just going to be times when something breaks down and these speedsters and this quick and high-powered offense will take advantage of it. Still, though, a 30-17 to victory I'm predicting for Michigan State going into yet another home game against Purdue. Now, just a quick final thought before I sign off here. Former Michigan State offensive coordinator and now former head coach from Miami, Ohio, Don Treadwell was fired last week after an 0-5 start for the Red Hawks. And if, if people remember correctly, Don Treadwell was the interim head coach for Michigan State in 2010 after Mark D'Antonio suffered a heart attack following that big Notre Dame victory and that little Giants play. Now, I was always a big fan of Treadwell. Our offense was great during the years that he was there. We won. We had a big victory over Wisconsin in the game where he was the interim head coach. And I think that he's always a, a he's been a great head he's been a great coach excuse me and, and uh, had a bit of a tough time there at Miami Ohio, but is there a place for him back on this coaching staff say next season? I'm not sure. You know, it depends obviously on uh, we have two we have co offensive coordinators now. It depends on how they do this season. You know, if this was two weeks ago, I would have said, oh man, bring back Don Treadwell now. Our offense is struggling. 
too much. We need some help. Like I would be calling for Don Treadwell to be hired this week if this was two weeks ago. But it's not. Michigan State showed some good offense against the game in Iowa. And if they can keep that rolling, you know, then our offensive coordinators are doing their job. Our offensive players are doing their job. But still, Treadwell is a guy who's been with D'Antonio for years. He's a good college coach. He's a good offensive coach. It was too bad that he had to be let go at Miami, Ohio. I personally know a couple players that play at Miami, Ohio, and, and they were very disappointed to see him leave. They had nothing but good things to say about him. So just something to think about. Is there a place for Don Treadwell back on Michigan State's coaching staff, say, next year? I think yes. It may not – I mean, it depends on how the offense does the rest of the season, but you know, a guy like that, a good friend of Mark D'Antonio's as well, who – is going to get swept up by somebody if we don't pick him up. Might as well think about it. Just something to think about for you folks. But that's it for my show. Thank you for tuning in. Again, I'm your host, Dan Tyler, and go green.